I'd like to welcome you from wherever you're watching from today. Uh, We have people who are watching with us and worshiping with us from all over the world. And so even though this pandemic has caused and caused change in our lives and caused the way that we've done church over the last several weeks, uh, in some ways, I think it's been great for us. It's challenged us. It's stretched us outside of our limits. And, um, we get to worship with thousands of people from around the world today. We like to, we get to celebrate the Lord's communion together with people all around the world today. And I think that that's an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, there's some things, though, that I've learned from the stay-at-home order. Maybe you've learned a lot of things, too. Uh, some of these I've grabbed some, from some of my friends on Facebook. But I'd like to kind of share with you what I've learned personally at home from the pandemic. Look at some of these things. Number one, I've learned that I miss sports. Uh, Thank the Lord for the NFL draft and the Dallas Cowboys and Notre Dame fighting Irish. And my wife has even allowed me to watch The Last Dance, reminding me about Michael Jordan and uh, the, the 1997 Bulls team, even though Larry Bird was the greatest. Uh, the second thing I've learned is that natural hair color is back in style and the COVID-19 haircut is a real thing. Third thing I've learned is that admiration for homeschooling parents went up astronomically And right now is the very best time for teachers to ask for a raise. Fourth thing that I've learned is that your pastor now approves of you being on Facebook during church. Fifth thing, showing up at the bank in a mask and gloves is now okay. The sixth thing is, is all of those projects that we're going to do when we had more time weren't really time related after all, were they? The seventh thing is in a few weeks, your dog is going to have severe separation anxiety. And the eighth thing is, no matter how large your home is, it feels like the walls are closing in. Doesn't it feel that way? It doesn't matter how big your house is, how old you are, um, what your situation is. It seems like the longer that we're sheltering at home, the walls are just kind of closing in. I think that all of us feel that way in some way or another. Uh, My wife and I feel it. My kids feel it. And I know that my little girl, uh, my almost three-year-old Gracie, feels it as well. How do I know? Because she's began to act out in creative ways to try and have fun and try and bring some spice back into her life. The other day, um, she saw a jar of peanut butter on the counter. Now she's not very tall. She's almost three, but she's still pretty short, but she has this stool that she uses to wash her hands after she goes to the bathroom. She went and got that stool. She took it to the the, uh, counter. She went and got the trash can. She pushed the trash can over by her stool. She climbed up on her stool and then climbed up on the trash can. She grabbed the peanut butter, got down, got a spoon and began eating the peanut butter from the jar in the living room, got bored and decided what better thing she could do with her time than to paint on the floor with her peanut butter and create a mural. It was very exciting. She also decided the other night when her sister fell asleep that she wasn't tired yet and her room needed decorating. And so she went and got one of our priceless rolls of toilet paper that goes for like $700 right now. And she teepeed her entire room and decorated it so that when we woke up in the morning, we had this unique design going on and I saw dollar signs all around. Then, if that weren't enough, the other day, the next night when she couldn't sleep, she got up, she got a whole bottle of priceless soft soap, you know, that you can't find anywhere. And she sprayed the entire thing on the floor, on the tile, and she went and got some socks on and she pretended like she was ice skating. My children, especially my almost three-year-old Gracie, are feeling the walls close in on us. I mean, just think how different it would be if she was able to do the things that she used to do, go outside and play, if she could go and and, and express her creativity and her ingenuity back at preschool. 
around other people in a different place. And we all feel like those walls are just kind of closing in. And we're looking for relief. Well, today we find ourselves finishing our series through the gospel of Luke or the autobiography of Luke or the biography of Luke, excuse me, on um, the life of Jesus. And we're finishing this series called Let's. And today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 24. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles, your mobile devices, or as Joe said last week, whatever scrolls you're carrying, um, we're going to be going through uh, chapter 24 in pretty good detail today. I'd love for you to join me in that from wherever you are. We're also going to have the text on the screen today for you. Um, but what we're going to find when we get to Luke chapter 24 is a bunch of people in a small room whose walls are closing in with the door locked. And maybe just like you, they were experiencing a little bit of anxiety and fear and hopelessness. In order to understand chapter 24, you really have to understand what's going on in chapter 23 because chapter 23 is like ground zero for the early Christian movement, the followers of Jesus. In chapter 23, we see that this movement has been disbanded, that Jesus, their Messiah, the one that they were following, is taken away, that he's beaten mercilessly, that he's led to a cross, and where he is killed horribly, and then taken down and put into a tomb. Chapter 23, their whole world collapses. All hope is gone. And they must have wondered where God was in the midst of, of their chaos. Fear reigns. And then we turn the page to chapter 24. And chapter 24 is a fascinating passage uh, of scripture. It's the morning after the darkest of nights. And what we read there is that there's a group of women who are going to the tomb to finish up the burial process of Jesus. And when they get there, what they discover is that the, the stone has been rolled away, that the body of Jesus is no longer there. And they don't know what to think about it. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to go. And all of a sudden, two angels appear on the scene and like, what are you doing? Why are you looking for Jesus? You knew that he said, he told you that he was going to rise from the dead on the third day. And that's what's happened. And these women are super excited. They don't know what to believe. They don't know what to think. And so they run back and they tell these Followers of Jesus who are in this locked room, what they had just experienced. And you would think that there would be excitement because Jesus has risen from the dead. We know the story. We celebrate it every week. But what happens is when these women tell the men their story, these men think that these women are making crazy talk. That they're hysterical. That they really couldn't be talking about Jesus rising from the dead. But nonetheless, Peter, and we read from the, the biography of John that he goes with Peter. Both of them sprint towards the tomb. And I love it that John tells us that he was a better runner than Peter and he got there first. I don't know why, but that's for free today. Then they go to the tomb. They look inside. They realize that the body of Jesus is gone. And we read in Luke chapter 24 that Peter goes away contemplating all of the things that he's heard and that he's seen. Immediately, we're taken to another scene. Two believers are walking on the road to, to, to Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. They are Cleopas and most likely his wife Mary that John tells us was at the crucifixion of Jesus. And as they're walking along, a man comes up to him and the reader knows who it is, but these people don't. We realize it's Jesus is appearing to them and he's like, why are you so troubled? And they go through this whole deal about what's happened over the last several days. And then they end with, you're not going to believe this, but we don't know what to think because a group of women say that they just uh, heard from angels that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we don't know what to think. And Jesus begins to go with them and share with them the passages of scripture about the Messiah 
and what will happen. And then all of a sudden he reveals himself to them. They recognize him for who he is. And then boom, he disappears. And they travel those seven miles back to that locked upper room where the followers of Jesus are hiding in fear to tell them the story of the resurrected Jesus. And that's where we pick up today. Chapter 24, verses 36 through 37. And just as they're telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you. Now, if you have your Bibles open, your mobile device or whatever, I want you to underline that part. I want you to highlight that peace be with you part. And I want you to hold on to that. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. I love this. Why are you guys scared? Why are you frightened? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because you died three days ago and then you just appeared in our midst um, and you didn't come through the front locked door like everybody else. I don't know. Why do you think that we would be scared? On top of that, there's this Jewish folklore at that time (laughs) that if a spirit came to see you, They never came with good intentions. So you can understand why these guys might be a little freaked out. But the first thing that Jesus says to them is peace be with you. Now, this is an ordinary Jewish greeting. Every time that you would encounter somebody on the road, you'd say shalom, peace be with you. It's kind of a greeting. But in this situation, in these circumstances with what's been going on and the fear that was just hovering over this group of people, I think that Jesus' words carried so much more than just a simple greeting. Because the peace of Jesus transcends all understanding. And in the midst of their context, that's what they needed more than anything else. Peace would have been the last thing that they had. Their world had been blown up. Their hope had been lost. Darkness had consumed them. And they were afraid. Let me ask you, have you ever known that kind of fear before? Fear that paralyzes, fear that causes anxiety, fear that causes doubt, fear that shakes confidence, fear that steals hope. That kind of fear is a terrible enemy. That kind of fear lies to you. It crushes hope. It causes you to abandon all reason. That kind of fear makes you see monsters under the bed and demons in the closet. That kind of fear will lead you into the dark night of the soul. That's the kind of fear that they're experiencing at that moment and that time in their life. And the first thing that Jesus offers them in the midst of their chaos and storms and fear is peace. I don't know about you, but as I get older in life, there's nothing that I desire quite more than peace. I mean, when I was younger, I had dreams and ambitions and goals like all of us do and all of the things I wanted to do and all the things that I wanted to accomplish. But the more that I've experienced heartache and brokenness in life and chaos in the storms and the hurricanes that blow through everyone's life, the more that I have just wanted peace because there's just something about peace. 
Now, it's interesting to me, the Bible has a lot of references to peace, but it seems like on their journey to this promised land, that peace was a dominating idea or philosophy or theology in their lifetime. I mean, consider this, Jerusalem literally translates the city of peace, and that city has known anything but peace over the last thousands of years. Why is that? It's because maybe that they were hoping in the midst of their life storm that they could find peace. The traditional Jewish greeting is shalom, which means what? But peace in the epistles that Paul writes, every letter, save one, he mentions that he hopes in in his salutations to them that they will experience grace and peace. I don't know about you, but if there's two things that I could have more of or need more of in my life, it's grace and peace because there's just something about peace. Now, here's what I think today. I think in the middle of our pandemic, in the middle of our financial worries and our relational worries and our social distancing, and you may be social distancing from people in your house right now, either because you're trying to follow the rules of social distancing or they're just driving you insane. Whether uh, your fear is, is that you're never going to be able to go out, that our society is going to be changed forever um, and damaged irreparably. Whatever it is that you're struggling with today, My hope is that you'll allow peace when out in your life. And here's the thing. I think that for many of us, there's a battle raging inside of our, our souls for dominance. There's an old Cherokee legend about a grandfather who was teaching his grandson. And he said, you know, grandson, there's a battle that's raging inside of me. It's a terrible battle fought between two wolves. One is evil and one is good. And then he goes on to describe the attributes of each. And he says, not only is it raging inside of me, but it's raging inside of you. And it's raging inside of every person. And after a few moments of thinking through this, the grandson says to his grandfather, grandfather, which one will win? And the grandfather says, whichever one you feed the most. Here's my thing, friends. There is a battle raging inside of you and either you will feed the fear that you're experiencing or you will feed yourself peace that can only come from Jesus to conquer that fear. Paul writes this amazing passage of scripture for us in a letter that he wrote to the Philippians. And this is what he has to say. It's one of my all time favorite passages of scripture. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise as these two Wolves battle for your mind and your heart and your existence today. Feed the wolf of peace. Allow Jesus to cover you and defeat the enemy that you face. I just want you to pray at home with me these simple words. Because I think that we all need these words today. And it's this. Jesus... Please cover my fear with your peace. Jesus, please cover my fear with your peace. 
At any rate, Luke chapter 24 goes on to tell us. Why are your hearts filled with doubt, Jesus said. Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. I love this, friends, because so many times we've been afraid to ask questions. Jesus knew that these guys had doubts. It's okay to have doubts. What he was sharing with them is it's okay to have doubts, but seek the answers. So many times in Christianity, what we've said is don't ask the tough question. Don't ask the question that no one can answer because it's going to destroy your faith. What I think Jesus is showing us here is it's okay when you have doubts research it, dig in, try and find those answers. Ask others who are more spiritually mature. Go on a journey because when you do, it's going to strengthen your faith, not weaken it. He goes on to to say, what we go on to read. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. I love this. Can you imagine them just being on the edge of their chairs to see what's going to happen when he eats this fish? He says, let's have some fish. They don't know what to believe. They've seen the scars on his hands and his feet and in his side, but they still have lingering doubts. And so Jesus says, let's have the fish because ghosts don't eat fish. And what he was sharing with them is that he was flesh and blood. He had bodily resurrected from the grave. And this is so important because the idea of resurrection was being hotly debated in Israel at that time during the first century. And isn't it true that humans often wonder what happens when we die? In the ancient world, some people believed that when you died, your life just kind of ended, kind of like a flame in a candle, just dying out. In fact, that was such a popular belief that there was this, this really famous epitaph that was written in both Greek and Latin that went something like this. I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. Doesn't that just warm your heart a little bit to think about that? There are other people at that time that thought that when you died, that there was this place sometimes called Haiti or the underworld where your departed spirit would go and rest when you died. Now understand that these spirits lived a shadowy existence and they didn't come back to the world. They didn't come back to this life. Hades was a one way street. But in Israel over this time, there were a different belief that began to emerge and was called the resurrection. It's a word that had been around long before Jesus' time. In fact, in Jesus' day, there's this huge debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees concerning the resurrection. The Pharisees believed that the resurrection was going to take place. The Sadducees didn't believe. They believed that when you died, you just went into nothingness. And that's, as my grandpa Hargrave always said, was why they were sad, you see. It might take a second for you to get that. The Greeks had debated this idea of resurrection, though most didn't believe that it was going to happen. Now, let me be clear about this. In all of the other theories on death, you either cease to exist or your spirit departed to another plane of existence. But resurrection is different. The idea of resurrection is that you bodily come back from the grave, not just to a life that you knew, but to a better life, a better existence with a new body. And that's so important to us. Today and in our faith. Jesus died for our sins as an atoning sacrifice on the cross, paying our penalties. But when he rose from the dead, he destroyed and defeated death so that all of us can be in the presence of God himself someday. As Paul writes, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But the problem, friends, is that it's not just that unbelievers don't believe in a resurrection or people who follow other faiths don't believe in a bodily resurrection. There's a study done several years ago that said that four out of 10 Christians didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. And why is that when it plays such an important role in our faith? 
Well, some who are skeptical, skeptical about the resurrection are skeptical because they believe that we're a lot smarter than those who have been alive 2,000 years ago. We're evolved. We're intelligent. We have science and reason. C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery. But here's the truth. Ancient people weren't stupid. They understood that dead creatures tend to stay dead. Ken Davis writes about a woman who um, one day came to her woman and saw with horror that her German shepherd had taken the rabbit from uh, the, the favorite pet rabbit from their next door neighbors and was shaking it violently and obviously had shaken the life out of this poor dead rabbit. So she took her broom and she started pummeling her dog until he released this now very dead rabbit. And she was distraught because their two families didn't have a good relationship. And so she didn't know what to do. So she took the rabbit inside. She gave it a bath. She blow dried its fur. She combed the fur. Then she snuck into her neighbor's yard and propped the rabbit up in his cage, hoping that her neighbors would never discover the truth. About an hour later, she heard this frantic scream come from her neighbors. And she's like, oh, no, the truth is out. She ran over and she said, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And her neighbor later was just shaken. And she said, two weeks ago, our rabbit died and we buried it. And now he's back. In the ancient world, they knew that dead rabbits tend to stay dead. And they knew that dead rabbis tend to stay dead as well. But here he was in the flesh in front that changed everything. A group of followers who had been disheartened, dismayed, disappointed, disillusioned suddenly weren't. And as a matter of historical record, that same group of people who were convinced that Jesus died were now convinced that Jesus had risen from the grave. And friends, that conviction would change the world. And let me share with you the most important truth of this message today, and that's this. Our hope rests 100% in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. 100%. I don't know what doubts you have today. I don't know where you are in your faith. And, and I know that you're watching because maybe God has led you to this moment in time for such a time as this. My challenge to you is to explore the truth, to seek out what truly happened, to seek out. If we're going to base our salvation on one way, Man, we better understand why we believe what we believe. And when you can come to the point and understand that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death, and because of that, that someday we're going to live in the presence of our Father, ourselves, that someday these broken down bodies that are filled with cancer and sickness and old age and hair loss and all of the other things that we go through will be thrown away and the, our Heavenly Father will give us new created bodies to enjoy for an eternity in His presence. Man, fear begins to evaporate and fear begins to vanish. And fear will have no place and peace will reign in your life. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the way that you love us. Lord, help us with our unbelief. I, I pray today that you'd help us with our fear. That in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of our walls, just kind of... Um, drawing close and, and, and uh, just covering us, that you would allow peace to reign in our life. Help us not to be dismayed or discouraged. Help us not to be fearful of the future. But Lord, help us to remember who holds the future. Help us to remember that God, that you're not surprised by anything and, and you're not caught off guard by what we're experiencing today. Give us hope, give us peace and change the way we live 
because we know the truth that Jesus is alive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.